Hi, my name is Lucy Chamberlain, and I'm co-founder of CNC Search. And today's leadership quote comes from John Quincy Adams. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Leader Assistant Podcast. It's your host, Jeremy Burrows. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lucy Chamberlain. Uh, Lucy is the founder of CNC Search. How's it going, Lucy? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. And what part of the world are you in today? So I am sat here in my office, which is a stone's throw away from Liverpool Street Station, which is in the heart of the city in London. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you today, and uh, we're going to just kick things off with what was your first job, and what did you learn in that role that you still use today as you run a recruiting firm? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from university, and I started on a graduate training scheme very, very briefly uh, before realizing that um, I wasn't going to be running hospitals, and I fell into Um, temporary support work, so administrative work. And I was really, really fortunate. I, Because I speak French, I was able to land a very senior role supporting the vice president of an oil and gas firm called Burlington Resources. Um, Back then, I was supporting a guy called W.B. Bowen. Uh, And, oh, my goodness, I learned so much from that experience. I learned I wasn't a natural PA, (laughs) number one, Um, but I fell in love with the perpetual with the profession at that time and I think the great tools it did teach me that I still use to this day are the ability to adapt adapt to situations to challenges to change to change them uh, within both the role and in terms of the people around you and what the organization needs so that adaptability I think certainly gave me a really strong foundation as I built my career. And without my PA and EA experience, I just don't feel I ever would have got that grounding from anything else. But I do have to say, I am just not um, organized enough to be an exceptional executive assistant. And um, if you'd walked into my office at the time, I mean, I was only 22. And I had this incredible corner office. I mean, I don't think I quite realized just how lucky I was at the time but um you would have seen papers everywhere uh, I was running by the seat of my pants most of the time and I think that um yeah but certainly it gave me an amazing foundation to build on hmm. so kind of t- tell us a little bit about your story transitioning from that role and then eventually running your own recruiting firm mm. yeah well at that time I I fell in love with the PA profession And I actually, I had a very, very strong sense, even in my early 20s, that this was an unbelievably noble career path, um, one where you are constantly of service to others and where your difference is an absolute game changer within a business. And I think that was really clear to me really early on. And so when I went back to a recruitment consultancy for my next assignment and they offered me a role as a recruiter uh, in the PA and EA support space, I knew that was the right 
place for me because it allowed me to bring together my passion for the PA profession as well as my natural um, sales ability and other skills that I knew um, would be better used in a slightly different format. And so I spent 13 years um, working uh, my way up and um, landed at the, the top of my corporate career as a partner in a large firm. But I really knew that my over the last couple of years, towards the end of that period of time, I'd been afforded lots of amazing opportunities there, but my values were just out of alignment and I had this calling, you know, people talk about it, but I really did have this desire and a need, I think, to break out and really do something where I could put my vision to, to into practice and really walk my talk. And I was uh, fortunate that my brother has also had a career in recruitment, shared my vision, and we both together wanted to have a business where we could build a company and a culture with inclusivity at its heart um, and a business that would touch PAs and EAs as well as the businesses they work for in a really positive way and that that was going to be our legacy, was going to be raising up the profile um, of this incredible profession and, um, and also additionally somewhere where my brother and I would feel really safe in the knowledge that in the future our daughters would thrive as part of the business and um, and that's what, in a nutshell, um, uh, I guess, gave birth to CNC Search. Hmm. That's great. So how long have you been running CNC Search now? Mm, so we are 30 people now based in the heart of, uh, of, of the city. And we have been going since uh, May 2014. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congrats. Thank you. So... Let's talk a little bit about, um, since you've been in the recruiting space for so long, um, let's have you share maybe a couple of tips for assistants who are looking for a new role. Mm. Okay, so all the the sole group of people I've ever worked with are um, personal assistants and executive assistants. So for 22 years, that's been the space that I have recruited in. And for me, what is what is most obvious to me is that when you spend a career being of service to others, what can happen is you forget how to use your voice when it comes to what you need and want and what you have to offer. So my biggest tip is to do a 360 review. And what I mean about this is, I mean, taking your colleagues, your family and your social circle and asking them What is the magic that you bring as a person, both professionally and personally, and starting to build this really strong sense of who you are, what you have to offer, and how a new employer will benefit from that. Um, Rather than talking just solely about how you've delivered in your role on a day-to-day basis, having a much bigger sense of Um, the value that you add to a business. And I think for me, that's where sometimes I see a lack of confidence um, or just simply a lack of um, time spent on really getting to understand your perceived value from many different perspectives. Yeah, I love that. It's uh, it's great advice. I, I like to talk about how assistants should see themselves as their executive's guide and not their executive's hero. 
Yes. In, in other words, if you put your resume out there like, I'm the hero, I've been doing this forever, yada, yada, versus if you put the resume out there and say, I help you do this, I help your company do this, I help you accomplish your goals, mm. it just definitely reads a lot more um, enticing to the executive because they're like, okay, this is somebody that I can partner with. Absolutely. And it gives you a much stronger platform to negotiate from mm. um, and to use as leverage for, again, what you what you need and want and deserve. Yeah. So let's talk about the art of no- negotiation. Um, what, what do assistants need to know uh, when it comes to negotiating compensation packages, uh, but even just maybe general negotiating negotiation tips for you know, because one, one thing is assistants have to negotiate venues and hotels and with vendors. And so it's not just negotiation for our compensation, um, but also just negotiation as a general tactic. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's a big topic, isn't it? To summarize in, in a, a short um, sort of brief overview. But um, and it's something actually I, I've run um, webinars on and all sorts. Uh, I've got an amazing tool, which I'd be very willing to share with anybody if they if they would like, um, which gives a, a really wonderful guide to negotiating and gives this really strong structure for that. But in brief now, the main thing for me is, is not fearing the negotiation conversation and understanding that it is simply a conversation and one that we can practice and get good at. A bit like using a muscle, you just have to use it more often and underpin it with great tools. I think it's it's instead of going in purely thinking about what you need and want from that conversation, it's looking at both sides. So for me, I want to really think about the other person on the other side of the negotiating table. What could trigger them? What their likely reaction is? how I head off objections, how I demonstrate the value in what I'm offering and thus what's justified in terms of what I'm asking for. It's ensuring that there's a win-win. That for me is the most important thing is it's looking at it um, from a perspective of how do we both come out of this negotiation conversation better off. And I think that that's really, really critical. It's learning how to manage your own emotions as well. So for me, when I'm looking at having that kind of conversation, I look at the things that might trigger me. So what might be said that might, I don't know, make me feel upset or angry or frustrated. And I head those off. So what am I going to do if X says this or presents why or whatever it may be, because that allows me to really focus on the win-win and it allows me to really effectively manage my emotions because unfortunately, when emotions start coming to the fore in negotiation, it tends to put us into a weaker negotiating position. And so it's, it's for me, it's, a, it's management of emotion. It's going in with a strong business case. It's really understanding the person opposite me. And it's looking at the best win-win. And finally, it's making sure that you leave these conversations open. So I know from the training and the reading that I've done, that, and from putting into practice that actually even if the end if at the end of the negotiation conversation it the outcome in that moment isn't what you need it doesn't mean it's finite especially if you're just simply able to uh, express disappointment 
but let them know the conversation is still open. Because oftentimes, if somebody else isn't as equipped at managing their emotion, they may leave that negotiation conversation and think on it and understand where your disappointment was coming from. And it leaves them room to come back in and renegotiate. And again, that helps you get to that win-win scenario. Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of Nova Chief of Staff Certification, the first of its kind online course for aspiring and existing chiefs of staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, Nova's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a chief of staff style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com slash Nova to learn more, grab the syllabus, and enroll today. Hmm, those are great tips. Yeah. Awesome. The win-win is big because if they feel like they're winning too, then it doesn't feel like a negotiation. Like you said, it's a conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And one that can be embraced and where both parties can come closer together rather than further apart. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about personal brand because that's kind of uh, related to negotiating and trying to get a job and just kind of establishing your own personal brand as a PA or an EA. Do you have any tips for assistants who um, haven't really thought about their personal brand or want to improve? Yeah. Yes, I do. So um, for me, your personal brand comes from really understanding yourself, number one. And so an exercise that um, I took part in and what I now ask uh, all the PAs that I'm working with on personal branding to undertake is to start with understanding their own value system. So what is really important, um, absolutely non-negotiable for them, because from operating from our values in terms of everything that we put out there into the world, whether it's online or a blog or anything else, if it's aligned with our values, it will always feel authentic. The second thing is to really understand, and it's back to what we were discussing earlier, but who we are um, and what makes us unique. And so uh, I, an exercise that I had this fantastic um, coach undertake with me was to write your name in the middle of a heart and and then write 20 things around that, um, around that heart that, that represents who you are uniquely to you. So it might be things like, I bake a mean chocolate cake. Uh, I can scuba dive. I can speak two languages. Um, I love reading uh, thrillers. It could be anything that's really you. Um, because often we don't know exactly what we represent. And then from there, it's, it's about being of service and adding value. So when I'm looking at PAs, for, for, for example, I would encourage those PAs once they really get to know what they represent in their value system is to look at how they can add value to the profession. So what skills they have, what knowledge base they'd like to share, what situations they've experienced that could be of benefit to others in terms of the tools that they've developed as a result. And then ensuring that there's consistency in how they then express those or that information to the world. And not everybody wants to be a blogger, um, but actually we do all now need to think of ourselves as a company of one um, where you are the most important employee. And 
how we are perceived professionally is so much around what we put out there um, on social media or how we represent ourselves on LinkedIn or, or whatever it may be. But I think we have a responsibility as PAs and EAs, or for me as a representative of that community, to jointly be really pressing the um, the agenda about standing up for um, recognition, both in terms of training and development, in terms of compensation, um, in terms of our impact in businesses. And to do that, our personal branding and what we're putting out there in the world will only support that greater mission for the profession. Hmm. Yeah. So what about interviews? So when an assistant goes into an interview, could you share maybe a couple of questions that you like to ask or that you see or clients like to ask and then maybe a tip for assistance and how to best prepare for interviews? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think now more and more people are moving towards more behavioral um, interview questions, which is certainly what they should be moving towards. Um, I think questions like tell me about yourself are really dated and don't really add a huge amount of value. I love asking impact-related behavioural questions. And, and I think that questions to me, like tell me a time when you've needed to motivate a co-worker, um, are so fantastic. Um, and what interviewers are looking for is the star response. So S, the situation, um, what happened, what was happening, T, the task, um, A, the action, and and then the R is the result. And if you are able to frame your answers using the star response, it's such a powerful tool to use to be able to succinctly get your point across, but also demonstrate how you've been able to positively impact a situation. Um, and it gives the interviewer the chance to really understand how your past behaviours are going to most likely be replicated within their business. Um, and so I encourage everybody that I have going out to our clients for interview to really practice the star response for likely behavioral questions. Hmm, that's really interesting. Could you could you say the acronym again? What, what was the... Yeah, so it's star, and that's S for the situation that you encountered. The T is for the task. So this is the the, um, I guess, the aspects of that situation that you then took on. The A is for the actions that you took. And the R is the result of those actions um, and the overall outcome. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely kind of summarize that in the show notes so people can Fantastic. refer Fantastic. to it. That's great. Um, what, what do you have, like, what are your tips on networking and mm. kind of how would you encourage assistants to get out there, network and find community? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you guys um, across the pond are a lot better at networking. Have you ever been to a British networking event? I have not. I have one oh, planned in, a, in next month, so we'll see. <laughs> you will. You'll notice a big difference. I mean, we are awkward, inhibited. Um, we, we find it much more difficult. I've been to um, all the really international um, networking events I go to, you Americans are always the best in the room at creating natural connection. But for me, the most important aspect of networking is that you, every event that you go to, 
you don't need to connect with a million people. It's about making an authentic connection with a couple of people. Um, and so when I'm at a networking event, I will try and introduce myself with a deep breath. And I go in and I ask to join groups of people. Hey, can I join you? And I really make the effort to get to know them more than just those surface level questions. So I try and prepare some interesting questions before I go to an event where it's going to offer the opportunity for a conversation rather than a yes or no answer. And when I find a couple of people at an event I can make a proper connection with, I, I'm, my job is done. And that is the best outcome I think you can get from any networking event. But the other thing that I would encourage all PAs and EAs to do is, is once you are attending networking events on a regular basis, and there are so many, you'll find them on Facebook groups, LinkedIn communities, online forums, um, and is to then be a super connector. So the biggest impact I think I see amongst the PA community is one, that they decide to fully commit to that PA community by attending these networking events. And it's amazing to see what comes out of them. But also people that connect other people tend to be the people that everyone else gravitates towards. And what I mean by that is it's looking at how we can collaborate as often as possible by putting people together over coffee or over email that could also benefit from knowing one another. And then you develop this, you know, they say your network is your net worth. And I think that I have certainly seen that in building this business. And I, we run PA events here monthly. And the community aspect of being part of a tribe is really important. And the benefit, I think, to networking with PAs outside of your organization is the enriching effect it has on your um, on the tools that you have, on your ability to face situations, or perhaps if your business is suddenly making redundancies, you've got a whole commu community out there that straight away will support you rather than trying to do things on your own, which we all know is so much more difficult. Hmm. What, what, what are one of the questions that you go into those groups of people and ask? Yeah, so I think often I will share my why so my objective for coming to the network and then I will ask them very simply I'd love to know what your objective for coming here today is because it's uh, it's an open question and it gets people talking hmm. whereas I think when you just say which company do you work for hi how are you which company do you work for what's your name or it, it's much more difficult whereas I like to go in much more quickly with a an open question that you can develop from yeah, that's great. So if you could snap your fingers and instantly give all assistants more of something, what would it be? Oh, more of a voice. Um, a stronger ability to stand fully in their power. Um, that ability to really understand their worth and what they have to offer to organizations. Um, there is not a business I know that could, that could survive without the PAs that's, that, that make things happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah, a bigger voice is what I think the PA and EA community need more of. And that maybe, maybe that's more UK-based, but certainly in the UK, that's something that EAs and PAs need more of. Would that, would that resonate, do you think, uh, in the US too? Oh, yeah, definitely. It kind of ties in with confidence. Um, yeah. But, yeah, definitely needed here as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So what makes an assistant a leader? Oh, gosh. I mean, don't you think we have just seen this huge evolution in the support roles? I mean, mm. gone are the days where you, you know, it was very one dimensional. I mean, now that you are intricately um, embedded in the strategy of a business, budget control, in motivation, in terms of protecting the culture of a business. I mean, that is so much. But I guess for me, the thing that really separates a good executive assistant um, to an EA that has the capability to lead is somebody that looks for opportunities to go above and beyond. And what I mean by that is it's somebody that looks to influence others positively, um, for somebody that sees an opportunity to save money in a business, somebody that notices when somebody else's morale is low and looks to pick them up, uh, somebody that is commercially aware. So for me, PAs and EAs that are commercially aware and have a deeper understanding of the objectives of the business they're supporting is those that demonstrate leadership skills. Awesome. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your story and some of your wisdom with our listeners. Oh, my um, pleasure. Very, very excited to be speaking with you all on the other side of the world. Yay. Um, yeah. How can we get a hold of you, find you and support what you're up to? Yeah. Okay. So you can have a look at the business at www.cncsearch.co.uk or find us on Instagram, which is just simply at cccearch. Awesome. Well, I'll share the links in the show notes. And Amazing. yeah, th thanks again. And good luck with your business and hope you have a great day. Awesome to connect. And uh, yeah, have a fantastic day yourself. Please review on Apple Podcasts. GoBullos.com